0: Let's come before the Lord and just ask that He would meet with us now and bless this time. Amen. Amen? Father, we come before You and I thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You for the richness of Your Word. And I thank You that You provide life-giving help to us in the Word of God. Lord, that, that um, I, I recall the reality of the disciples when they saw that many were running away from Jesus, and ultimately Jesus asked Peter, are you going to leave too? And He said, where could we go, Lord? You have the words of life. And the same is true today. Jesus has the words of life. And when we come before You, Lord, to gather, to meet, to celebrate who King Jesus is, and consider the words of Jesus Christ, Lord, we are reminded afresh. And may there be a burning in our heart, Lord, as a spirit testifies to the truthfulness of your words. And we pray, God, that you would prepare us <coughs> for a word today. That you would anoint this word. That you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. That you would banish um, self-focus. And Lord, that you would give me a self selfless, bold, spirit-wrought Word for Your people and that You would open our hearts to receive the things that Your Word is telling us. And Lord, may it be music in our ears. May it be a symphony in our soul. May it be the delight of our very heart as we consider Jesus today. May we get great help in Jesus' name amen. I was um, reminded afresh as the seasons start changing and, um, you know, it gets to that point where we had to mow the lawn for the first time and that first cut, you know, and it just happened to be, uh, you know, 85 degrees and blazing hot. And I don't know, from California, I feel like the, the sun feels farther away. And when I moved out here, it was like the sun got closer and 85 degree weather out here just feels a lot more hot. And so I'm out there mowing, you know, and typically it takes me about two hours to mow the lawn and I'll, you know, throw some ear pods in and listen to something, a sermon or music or something like that. And about an hour and a half in, it never fails as I'm kind of breathing in the grass and as I'm you know, dodging wasps and stuff like that. Uh, about an hour and a half, 90 minutes in, I just begin to get incredibly thirsty. And I start choking. I'm so thirsty. And and my tongue feels like sandpaper, you know. And I I feel like I, if I don't get a drink, you know, I'm going to turn into human beef jerky, you know, after this point. And so I rush into the house and I get the coldest glass of water I can get, and I just guzzle that thing. And guzzle it. And I can't get enough of it. And I just want the thirst to be quenched. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, Jesus puts His finger on the greatest need of mankind. He puts His finger on a need and a thirst that we all have. And much like I was parched on a blazing hot day mowing the lawn, King Jesus is laying before us that every human being in the world has a hunger and a thirst for God deep down. And he or she is like parched Completely needy. And I think of the hymn, Come ye needy, poor and weary. Right? Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Come ye thirsty. That is what Jesus points to in the Gospel of John chapter 7. And as we look to King Jesus for help, He's going to help us see that not only does He provide the living water, but He is the living water. Sometimes we look at Jesus and it's like, what can He do for us instead of who He is and what that means when you feast upon Him like the bread of life and when you thirst for Him and come and take a drink and your weary soul comes back to what you were truly meant for. And there's a great reason why so many are so thirsty and they're going to all sorts of other wells for water. Whether it's drugs or alcohol. Whether it's success and prestige. Whether it's 401K and the retirement life. But only one thing Jesus said can truly quench our thirst. And the thirst of every aching human heart is that we were made for God. And we will be thirsty until we come to the waters of life and drink. And enter in some of the greatest words in all the Bible. What's been called the greatest invitation ever given. John chapter 7 and verse 37 lay before us this great word of Jesus Christ. It's a sermon in a nutshell. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and He cried out. So He's proclaiming. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And whoever believes in Me As the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Three simple verses that have the potential to explode life-giving hope. And whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, they are just as important for you. Whether you're considering them for the first time, or whether you're turning it like a multifaceted diamond, looking at the glory and the grandeur of Jesus' words to the thirsty heart, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And you've got to imagine, like Jesus is saying, like, I'm a life-giving fountain. I'm the river-making king. And he lays out three simple things that we see in this passage. Number one, it's a a call to the thirsty. Number two, it's a summons to come to the Savior. And number three, it's a promise. A promise of the Spirit that would come upon all who believe. So let's look at them one at a time. Number one, call to the thirsty. Jesus is decisively Calling all who are thirsty, come ye thirsty. Look at it again in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now we got to do a little bit of context here because you notice it says that it was on the last day of the feast, the great day, That last great day of the feast, which earlier in the chapter says it was the Feast of Tabernacles. So you have to think of yourself as a good Jew, and every good Jew would come to three feasts every year. And the Feast of Tabernacles was one of them. So no matter where you lived as a Jew, you would come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And it was on this particular day that all Jews would basically make a booth or a shelter and live out like they're in the wilderness to commemorate God's dealings with them and His providential goodness and His providential provision in the wilderness wanderings where He went before, him, went before His people like a pillar of fire By night and a pillar of cloud by day. Where he would drop manna from heaven to feed his people. And where Moses would strike the rock and it would provide the waters when the people were thirsty. So this great feast is the very feast Jesus chooses to stand up and speak these words for a reason. And it was also known at that time that in this particular feast, there would be a water pouring ceremony. So, if you're a good Jewish child, everybody's out in that shelter and they're looking up at the stars and they're wondering at the provision of God and they're glorying in the great work of God and providing for the people all those years ago. And then during the day, they would have a ceremony. And the high priest would get a flagon or a pitcher, a golden pitcher, and he would take it from the temple and they'd lead a procession to the Pool of Siloam, and they would gather water there, and then they would blow the shofar horn, which was this loud sort of ram's horn, and they would praise God and say the words of Isaiah twelve three with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would pour out the water on the altar in the temple. And they would do it again and again and again for seven days. Singing. We're drawing water from the well of salvation. And praising God. And it was during this feast that Jesus chooses very intentionally to stand up and to cry out. And teachers typically sat when they taught, but if they're going to make a big point, they're going to stand up. And He cried out. And He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And do you not think that the Jews would realize on some level that this Jesus is claiming something radical. This Jesus is claiming to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. What God did in feeding the, 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 the people with manna in the wilderness, just one chapter earlier, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And He feeds 5,000 people. And He says, anybody who comes to Me will never hunger again. And now, He goes to the water. And He says, As anyone thirst? Let him come to Me and drink. Because Jesus wants you to make no mistake. He is what your soul has truly been thirsting for all of these years. Since you were born, you have had a thirst within. Since you were born, you have had a thirst in your heart for something greater, for something grand, for something glorious that only God is big enough to fill. And if you fill it with lesser things, it will never satisfy. You'd be like the woman at the well. She went through five husbands. And the one she was with was not her husband. She was looking for satisfaction in men. And every time she was disappointed because we can accept no substitutes for this thirst. And so maybe you're sensing today, like, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm parched. I'm dry. I'm weary. That's the only qualification that Jesus points out in this text in, chapter, in, in verse 37. If anyone thirsts, And we all do. And Jesus is claiming to be the One who can quench our thirst. What a staggering, glorious picture. And with our hearts prone to wander, as we talked about in that song that we, that hymn we sung, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to go to other fountains. I'm prone to go to other cisterns that hold no water. I'm prone to go to wells that were never meant to satisfy. Is that your story? friends, even if we are in Christ, sometimes we look away from the fountain of life. Sometimes we need to be reminded that He is the One that can truly satisfy us. And when our discontentment is at the greatest, then you need to hear the Sovereign Son of God say to you, like He said at the Feast of Tabernacles, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink." It's that thirst that reminds us who we really are and what we really need. And as the great Bishop J. C. Ryle once put it, the beginning of all true Christianity is to discover that we are guilty empty needy sinners until we know that we are lost we will not in the way, we will not be in the way to be saved the very first steps towards heaven is to be thoroughly convinced that we deserve hell we got to be in touch with this need even as christians we marvel at the need that jesus supplies and satisfies, and we marvel at the reality that though I deserved hell, Jesus provided the waters of life that grant me entrance to heaven. And He says, come ye sinner, poor and needy, and I will rescue you. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest rest for your soul. And as the famous theologian Augustine once said, our souls are restless until we rest in Him. No peace, no help, no satisfaction, no quenching of the thirst apart from Jesus. But the moment we wake up to it, we wake up to our hunger for God. We wake up to our need for God. We wake up to our thirst. It's like being given a cold glass of water that never ends and always satisfies And it wells up into eternal life. And Jesus supplies what we truly need. Not what we think we need. So much in the world today is vying for our heart affection. So much is vying for our satisfaction. So much out there on TikTok and and Facebook and movies and media. So much we're being told. If you only had this in the commercials, that would satisfy. Even Gatorade, right? Gatorade thirst strength for that deep down body thirst, right? But there's nobody who can feed a thirsty soul. But Jesus, there's nobody who can quench everlastingly your thirst for God, but Jesus Christ. And he came to announce to you and to invite you to come and drink. Now, I've been around church long enough to know there's there's people who are sometimes thirsty in the church. People who are sometimes aware of their thirst, aware something's wrong, aware something's not quite right, and they need to come to Jesus even though they've been in church their whole whole life. They're thirsty. They're aware of something not quite right. Something's not fitting. Something's not gelling. Something needs to change. And Jesus would appeal to you and say, if any thirst, let Him come to Me. Of course, the Jews... We're considering Jesus' words in this very chapter and some were divided. Could this be the Christ? Can the Messiah really be from Galilee? They would say. And they would question and there was a great division over who this Jesus was. So it's very possible to be very spiritually minded and yet missing Jesus and not knowing the identity of Jesus and not coming to Him as the one who supplies the life-giving fountain straight into our souls that makes us right with God. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss the profound import of the fact that He provides what all of the Old Testament feasts were pointing to. Consider the Feast of Passover Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Consider the book of Exodus. Jesus is the one who led His people out. He's the spiritual rock in the wilderness that Moses struck. And Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 10 that this is the rock Moses struck. It was Christ. And now we drink in a whole new way. What just gave them sustenance to survive bodily and physically, now Jesus provides spiritually and forever. And so that's how He could tell the woman at the well in response to her question, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Have we come to this spring? Have we come to this well? Or have we been digging out our own wells? And brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, What you display in your life, in your lifestyle, says everything about what you believe. What you're given to. What you're passionate about. What you're excited about. What you look to. What you hold on to. What you're gripped by. What you serve. That is your God. And if at the bottom of all of that is not Jesus Christ, then it's not Christianity. If the root does not bring the fruit in your life, then maybe it's a withered plant, not a life-giving tree. Maybe it's a polluted fountain, not the fountain of life. Where are you turning? Where are you looking? Where are you going? If you're thirsty... Have you come to Jesus to truly satisfy your thirst? John 6.35, Jesus said the same thing to the people He fed. 5,000 people with a loaf of bread. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Now, one thing that's interesting with this is that Jesus fed them and he said, I'm the new manna. I'm the bread of life. And now Jesus is pouring. He's talking about living water. And he's saying, I'm the spiritual rock that pours out the water you need. And so Jesus is deliberately linking himself to the sovereign God who delivered His people from Exodus, who delivered His people from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is Jesus. He's the One who put Pharaoh down with ten plagues and brought His people out and fed them and cared for them and nurtured them. He's the One who saves. And it's no accident that He is trying to show them, I am The bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am. And you will remember those very words are the words that Moses hears from God when he says, Who shall I say to Pharaoh? Who shall I say sent me? I am that I am. And Jesus is that I am. Jesus is the Sovereign Lord who brought His people out. And He can deal with your needs. If He could do all that, and if He went to the cross as the Lamb of God, He can help the thirsty and the needy. And He issues that universal call to all of us to come. Come ye thirsty, poor and needy, and I will give you what you need. But we also see not only that there's a call to the thirsty, but we see there's a summons to come to King Jesus and that's point number two, and we see it right there in verse 37 in many different ways. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So there's a coming and there's a drinking. And then in verse 38, it says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living waters. So Jesus is saying the coming to him is believing in Him. The drinking of Him is believing in Him. He's showing different ways in which we need to get that this isn't a mechanical thing. If I just believe X, therefore... That's all I need to do. No, you need to come to Him as a person. You need to come to Him as a person who entered history, who's both fully God, fully man, who came and lived among us and did things intentionally to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament Scriptures because He was God in the flesh. He was the bread of life. He was the living waters. He was the resurrection in the life. And He is Because He died on a cross and three days later, He rose up out of the grave so He can say to you, come unto Me. Drink in Me. And believe. And out of your heart shall flow living water. Rivers of living water. And sometimes we forget the very personal nature of what's being said here. Look at verse 37 again. It says, let him come to me. And verse 38, whoever believes in me. There's a very personal call here. It's a personal summons by Jesus Himself. I remember not long ago, about a year or two, or a couple years ago, I was leading a Bible study. And there had been an unbeliever who had a Catholic background and he had been attending our study for about a year. And he, had, he just loved being around Christians, but he couldn't get into the Jesus thing, right? And so he would sit down and, and read Scripture with us and he would allow us to pray for him. And, and, and he was going along with everything, but he never personally saw that it applied to him. He never personally saw that Jesus was speaking to him. And we read this text as we were reading through the whole Gospel of John. And it took almost a year just to get to chapter 7. And we read this very text. And I said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. And I said, Jesus is speaking to you. And that set in motion, unbeknownst to me, in his soul, a deep, soul-stirring, soul-searching quest. As the words echoed in his heart, and a few days later he lost a dear friend out of the blue, and had to go to a funeral. And then he began to see these words afresh. If Anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And by the week's end, he was sharing with another friend that he had been born again and entered into the kingdom. And then he began to share this news about what Jesus can do in the soul. Because he went along with Jesus, he went to Catholic Mass, he went to Catholic school, he went along with the trimmings. I believe in Jesus. I believe that He did these things, but I've never personally trusted Him. And it wasn't until he encountered Jesus' words to him. So never let us depersonalize the Scriptures. This is Jesus' word to you. And Jesus is calling you. If you are thirsty, you come. And maybe you've never went that far with Jesus. You've never really responded to Him when He says to you, you come to Me and drink. Believe on Me. And out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm reminded of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he knew a lot about God. He was the teacher of Israel. He came to Jesus by night. He even said, Teacher, I know you you come from God because nobody can do the stuff you do. He said that to Jesus. And Jesus looks him in the eye without batting an eye and says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. And imagine what those words did to Nicodemus as he thought, I thought I could see pretty good. (laughs) I thought I knew what I was talking about. I thought I knew. And Jesus said, I'm on the outside looking in. But Nicodemus continues to see there is something unmistakable about this Jesus because nobody could talk like Him. Nobody who could say, could stand up at the end of the feast and and say like this in the Feast of Tabernacles. Nobody could say, hey, come to me. All the rabbis said, hey, you know, I'm going to tell you something about God based on what other rabbis said. Jesus said, I say, come to me and drink. And whoever does that, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That is glorious. And so, Nicodemus would one day come to terms that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a great moral man. He is the Son of God in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah, of the Savior. He's the one that Nicodemus was longing for. And isn't that why he came searching? Something must be different about this man. And it wasn't long before Nicodemus was in the kingdom. And we're reminded that nobody can come except through Jesus. Jesus taught that in John 14.6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Me so sometimes we can get sentimental in our views of Christ and the Gospel and begin to, to think, well, if they're basically good people, I mean, maybe that they'll be okay in the end. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a teacher of teachers, who was a good moral man, He said, you can't even see. You're blind. You're destitute. You're without hope. And he said, there is no good person. Later, he would say that the judgment has come, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. And he was talking to Nicodemus. We need to remember the exclusivity of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other way for men to be saved than through Jesus. 300 million people in North America are perishing without Jesus. Three billion people are living, going through their whole life and dying in the 1040 window, which is the window that all the unreached peoples exist in. So think, Certain parts of Africa and certain parts of South America and certain parts of Asia. There are three billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. And oh, how this ought to change the way we look at a VBS. How this ought to change the way we look at missions. How this ought to change the way we look when we're offering the waters of life to people. This is no joke. This is the One who came to save His people from their sins. But you cannot come to the waters of life apart from Christ. And that's how Jesus could warn the Pharisees in John chapter 8, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. Brothers and sisters, I share these things to you because there's a great sense of urgency in Jesus' invitation to a hostile crowd, to a divided crowd, to a group of people who were some who were religious, some considering, some wondering, some would go along with the furniture of who He was on some levels, but didn't take in the deep realities that He was the promised Messiah. And the words of John 8 echo in my heart when they say, truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who practices this sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And what a glorious thing it is to come to the waters of life and be set free. What a glorious thing it is When saving faith enters in and the bubbling brook begins to flow in your heart, and the idea is a river of life comes in and flows out of you. What are the words of verse 38? Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I don't want you to stumble at that word flow and think that this is like a trickling brook. This is this, the, the word has the idea of a gushing torrent, like a mad current that's flowing out, like a geyser. We don't want to think of this little thing that's just trickling. This is a geyser flowing out of you. This is a fountain flowing forth from you. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Well, what Jesus does is He puts a fountain in your heart. And we're going to see that that fountain, once Jesus dies, is buried, is raised up and ascends to the Father, that fountain is the Holy Spirit that comes to indwell believers. I am the bread of life. I am living waters. Jesus alone could say he's living water. And then when he goes to be with the Father, he sends living waters right into your heart. And then you begin to, as the scripture says in verse 38, you begin to overflow with that living water. It's a picture of the Spirit-filled life. Just the blessings of a new age have dawned. The saving power of God is coming and rescuing people. And it's not just kings and prophets who are filled with the Spirit anymore, but it is the people of God. And that leads us to counting on the promise. Counting on the promised Holy Spirit. And you'll notice this like commentary, this footnote in verse 39. Look at it with me right now. It says, after he says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It says, now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Did you know that in the heart of the Old Testament, the prophets spoke of the Holy Spirit and the blessings of the Spirit pouring out in the age when the Messiah would come? Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. The prophet Ezekiel says, speaking of the new covenant, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. From all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. There's not going to be broken cisterns. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's as if God gives you a heart transplant when you become a Christian. He takes out the stony heart. He stakes out the dead, lifeless heart, and He gives you the heart of the Holy Spirit within. He empowers you and renews you and gives you affections for God. And there's a reason you care about the things of God. There's a reason you love coming to church. There's a reason you love picking up the Bible. There's a reason you love telling people about Jesus. Because the Spirit of the Lord reigns in you and flows through you and renews you and transforms you. This is like radical transformation. What was a heart of stone is now a heart of flesh. What was a dead, lifeless person, spiritually speaking, is now filled with the Holy Spirit and alive to God. And oh, how the testimonies begin to flow like living waters out of your life. Look at what the Lord has done for me go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's living waters for all who will come. There is a promise in the Old Testament that the Messiah would bring the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower and be with his people and beloved if you're child of God you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit that's why you can't keep doing the stuff you've been doing that's why you want to change that's why you want to grow that's why you want to live for King Jesus because Jesus spirit reigns in you there's a new conviction there's new affections And Jesus, all through the Gospel of John, reminds us that He must go so the Spirit will come. John 14, 16 says, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. That's the Holy Spirit. He's a helper, and he's with you, and he indwells you, and he'll be with you forever. And it's a mark that you are a true child of God. Again, in verse or uh, in John sixteen seven, Jesus said, "Nevertheless, I tell you the truth." It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send Him to you. If I go, I'm going to send Him. And Jesus does that very thing. He says to the disciples after He's raised, Go to Galilee and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the church in the upper room in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, waits for the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes and falls, it's on Pentecost. And would you guess what Pentecost really is? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. What a coincidence that Jesus would choose that very feast and the church would be filled with the Holy Spirit on that very day. What a glorious reality. The life-giving Spirit comes into the church and Jesus promised all the disciples, go and I will bring the Spirit and the Spirit will come, out, come upon you and you shall be My witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 Great Commission texts are all over. The Spirit of God launching the church into the world with the Word of God as life-giving water to the world. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Come to the waters of life in Christ what a glorious thing we get to do, brothers and sisters. So there's two two quick closing thoughts that I have for us. If you don't know Christ, hear Jesus' words to you now. If you've never tasted the living water, if you've never experienced the indwelling of the Spirit, if you're uh, with the Apostle Paul when he said if you're in the flesh and not in the Spirit, it's because you don't belong to Christ. But anybody who has the Spirit is in Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you've not been born again, if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never drank, and you're thirsty, needy, poor, and tired, come to the waters of life today and drink freely. And if you're a Christian, if you're a blood-bought child of God, what glorious treasures you have in these earthen vessels. What glorious news you have in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And what a glorious Savior we have. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for this passage. There's so many rich things for us in this great Word, this great invitation from Jesus. And I just pray for those of us who are experiencing their thirst even now as I speak and as I pray, God, I pray Your Holy Spirit would be all over them, that You would be drawing them, that they would be confessing their sins right now before You and saying, I want this water. I want this Jesus. I want to believe on Him. And if that's you, cry out in your heart. Cry out in faith. And Father, for those who are believers, Lord, I pray that we would rejoice and that we'd be mobilized and that we'd be encouraged and that we would take this greatest of all news into the world. And that we would be those very realities that Jesus proclaimed that we would be living out and that the living water would flow through us to bless the world. In Jesus' name, amen.